Well, good morning to you. Welcome to Friday. We've made it to the uh, the final show of the week. We're still here. <laughs> of course we are. And we're having a great time as well. Thank you for listening in, whether it's to the live broadcast right now, between now and 9 o'clock on starterfm.com.au and, of course, iHeartRadio and the TuneIn app. Nice to have your company. Or if you're listening a little later in the day to the Prawncast, nice to know you there and thank you to everybody that's touched base with us over the last couple of days. It's It's been a fun week. Next week we will uh, get into more interviews and we're not too far away from setting up, of course, your open line. That won't be long. Now, plenty to talk about today. Uh, speaking of feedback, I got a really nice email yesterday from one of my listeners. Uh, I'll read that out a little later and thank you to everybody for your kind comments in relation to Ben's email as well. Uh, we'll get into more of your feedback as usual. But I see the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, is being accused of perhaps favouring New South Wales yet again. ScoMo's announced that some flood victims in northern New South Wales will receive triple the level of direct financial assistance compared to any Queensland flood victim. Labor and, of course, uh, opposition parties are up in arms about this. The payments will offer real help because they triple the cash for many households in the Lismore, Richmond Valley and Clarence Valley LGAs. So that's true, but what about South East Queensland? What about businesses affected by the flooding of the Brisbane River? I'll get on to that now. There's been a lot of criticism, as I mentioned earlier this week, in relation to Resilience New South Wales. Well, I read with interest yesterday that the future of this controversial billion-dollar Resilience New South Wales agency is now hanging in the balance amid continued criticism about its role. Well, what exactly has Shane Fitzsimmons done in the time that he's been appointed to this so-called Resilience Agency? Look, I don't want to criticise Shane too much because, as we know, he was absolutely outstanding in his role as the Fire Commissioner of New South Wales. I was very disappointed last year when he stood down as the Fire Commissioner because he'd done such an outstanding job. Anyway, he was handed this, uh, well, plum job, this created job of Resilience New South Wales head, but many are are rightly asking this billion-dollar agency is more like a white elephant. It's not doing too much. Anyway, I'll get to that. Um, We'll talk a little bit more about the recovery which is being led by local communities around New South Wales following the floods. Wasn't it fantastic yesterday to see sunshine? What? Blue sky as well. Blue sky, sunshine. It started off uh, a little coolish in the morning yesterday and then the wind got up, but the good bit about that is it blew away most of the clouds where I am and had a mostly fine and sunny day. It was just beautiful. Uh, it will slowly start to dry up around uh, the worst affected flood zones of New South Wales. And let's keep our fingers crossed that we have a, a string of dry, sunny days that can help with the, uh, well, with the recovery and cleanup. Uh, less of a mud army, hopefully. We'll see what happens. Um, I've got some uh, details of exactly how high rivers rose in New South Wales in the last couple of weeks. 
The flood gauges were well and truly given a workout. I'll get through the detail of that. And also the Australian Defence Force, what are they doing to help aid the recovery? Uh, I'll go through all of those details for you as well. Um, I've got a story about a senior teacher at an eastern suburbs private school that's been charged over allegedly being part of an online child abuse ring. Charming. We'll go through that. Some superstars from around the world continue to pay tribute to Shane Warne, including one Robbie Williams, who's one of my favourite entertainers. Yeah, I know. I'm a semi-boomer. Anyway, pop superstar Robbie Williams says the death of Warney has made him contemplate his own mortality. Well, I have to say for Robbie, you're not the only one, mate. It's made me consider my own mortality as well, considering I'm only a couple of years younger than Shane Warne. Uh, I see News Corp have started as we get closer to the announcement of the federal election. They've started writing some fairly decent sort of stories on Scott Morrison. And they're now calling Anthony Albanese each way Albo. Yeah, story yesterday caught my attention. Anthony Albanese, who once said he was in politics to fight Tories has been accused of not being able to keep his own views straight after promising an audience of Sydney business leaders that, if elected, he would govern in the spirit of Bob Hawke and John Howard. Now, two things here. Govern in the spirit of... They were both very popular Prime Ministers, Howard and Hawke. I think that's what Anthony's referring to. I'll try and get him on the program next week. When he says that he'll govern in the spirit of Hawke, And Howard, he means, hopefully, that he will be a popular Prime Minister if he is elected. He's not suggesting that he's, you know, going to do a complete about turn on, you know, his policies. Absolutely not. I think what he's suggesting is that he wants to govern in the same way that these two men did, rather than, uh, you know, with a bit of substance, hopefully with a bit of style, rather than the fakeness that we seemingly have had in the last couple of years. Well, that's my opinion anyway. We'll get to your opinion. Uh, Letters from the editor. I'll get through those as well throughout the course of the morning. Some great music. If you'd like to send us your feedback, do so. Marcus.Paul at starterfm.com.au and, of course, on our Facebook pages, Marcus Paul in the morning and the Starter FM Facebook page as well. Let's get into it. Friday, nice to have your company. Friday morning, nice to have your company. Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, the federal government is again being accused of favouring New South Wales. I saw with interest yesterday on a a number of Labor and opposition MPs' Facebook feeds that, well, they're unhappy. PM Scott Morrison has announced that some flood victims in northern New South Wales will receive triple the level of direct financial assistance compared to any Queensland flood victim. Whether you are just out of your damaged home due to flooding in Queensland or New South Wales, the challenges are just as confronting and costly. And Labor MPs say they're stunned that different levels of financial support are being offered by the Prime Minister Scott Morrison depending on, you know, what postcode you're from or what state you're from. That's it. I'm going to report this to me Member of Parliament. Look, the the payments that have been offered 
will offer real help because they triple the cash for many households in the Lismore, Richmond Valley and Clarence Valley local government areas. These were the payments that were announced yesterday by the Prime Minister, even though he didn't meet with locals and basically tried to avoid the press as much as he could. That's a bloody outrage, it is! Those who qualify for the standard disaster payment worth $1,000 per adult and $400 per child will gain two further payments on March 15 and March 22. So this is in reference to areas in the northern rivers of New South Wales. Lismore, Richmond Valley, Clarence Valley, those local government areas. But what about Queensland? Small businesses, well, small and large businesses and properties affected by the flooding of the Brisbane River. Yeah, uh, there are many who are suggesting that the Prime Minister again, unfortunately, is playing politics with disasters. Meanwhile, an increasingly uncertain world has led Prime Minister Scott Morrison to announce a massive 30% increase in ADF numbers over the next two decades, including the creation of a regiment dedicated to, quote, information warfare. The increase, which will cost an estimated $38 billion over the next two decades, will represent a significant increase from the growth flagged in a 2020 Defence Force structure plan and will enhance the country's warfighting capabilities, not just on land and sea, but in space and the virtual world as well. It will also push the number of uniformed defence personnel from 60,000 to nearly 80,000 and the total ADF workforce to more than 100,000 by the year 2040. It is understood the extra personnel will also help build redundancy into the force and support everything from intelligence acquisition to computing and computer infrastructure. Look, there's no doubt that we need to certainly spend money and invest into defence capabilities against hacking, uh, considering that, you know, the Australian government, our Defence Force and, and even private enterprise here in Australia. I mean, look what happened with Channel 9 last year. They came under a cyber attack by the Chinese. The decision to grow the ADF has been under consideration, we're told, since the 2024 structure plan, as I mentioned, and was agreed to by the National Security Committee last November, before, though, this is important, before the current crisis in Ukraine. While 12,500 additional positions were recommended to maintain a minimum baseline of capability, several thousand more uniformed and non-uniformed personnel were agreed upon to meet evolving threats in the region. Along with the Information Warfare Regiment, the increased forces will help establish integrated air and missile defence capabilities, sovereign space satellite and ground control capabilities and expand the country's ability to conduct and deter electronic warfare. Look, it's also understood that force numbers may increase further as nuclear submarines come online as part of the AUKUS arrangement. Look, Prime Minister Scott Morrison said, the first priority of my government is to keep Australians safe. And to do that, we need a bigger ADF with more soldiers, sailors and airmen and women to operate the cutting-edge capabilities we're getting to protect Australia. He said, and I again, quote, our world is becoming increasingly uncertain. 
So it's important that we take steps now to protect our people and our national interest over the coming decades. You can't flick a switch to increase your army, navy and air force overnight. Growing the type of people and skills we need to face the threats uh, of the future takes time. So we must start now so critical skills can be taught and experience gained. ADF personnel will be increased in every state and territory and across all areas, including air, sea, land, space and cyber. Well, yes, it's hard in a way considering the threat from China and also what's transpiring in Europe at the moment. It's hard to, I guess, to knock and, and... you know, some critics will say, oh, here he goes again, beating the draw, the drums of war. But uh, these measures, I'm told, were in place before the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. And it'll create jobs. It'll create um, important infrastructure. And uh, look, importantly, I think this is a better spend than the bloody submarine billions that will be spent on, you know, those things when they finally arrive. Anyway, if you want to have your say on this, you can always send me an email, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au or comment below on our Facebook page when we whack up the prawncast. Friday morning, nice to have your company. You are listening to Marcus Paul in the morning right across, well, everywhere, I guess, online, starterfm.com.au, and on the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn Radio, and any other radio app you might want to get your hands on. It's nice to have your company on this Friday morning. It is March the 11th, and we are hoping that the sunshine we've seen in the last day continues right across the weekend, certainly to aid the clean-up and the recovery operations from these awful floods we've had in the last 14 days. It rained in Sydney non-stop for almost 14 days. It was absolutely incredible. So many roads closed, so many areas cut off by floodwaters. As you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but uh, some of the figures of the amount of rainfall that fell and, and how high the rivers got up was just incredible. And up until, I guess, really... Wednesday, the Southern Highlands area of New South Wales had escaped the worst of it, but emergency services were urging residents to be alert for more power outages and fallen trees across the Southern Highlands and Tablelands. They had damaging winds battering the region late Wednesday night and early yesterday. A severe weather warning was in place. And see, the problem is, with all the rain we've had, even if it hasn't been flash flooding... Uh, sort of rain. There's been enough of it in certain areas, particularly wooden areas and areas that have a lot of vegetation that that, that makes it very dangerous. You know, uh, look what happened in Emu Plains in Sydney's western suburb. I'm sure we've all seen that house that's teetering on the brink. All of the earth underneath the driveway of that beautiful two-storey home in Emu Plains is gone. It's almost making the home uninhabitable. I don't know how engineers are going to fix that up. Anyway, an SES service spokeswoman says, while the flooding risk has diminished in many areas, we still need to be extremely careful as winds, even if they do get up again over the next day or two, in all areas, if the winds get up strong enough, gusty enough, 
well, then they can bring down those, you know, those trees because the ground is so sodden. Well, how much uh, water did we receive? And how high did our rivers get? Well, I've got a, a rundown here that was printed yesterday. The Nepean River at Castle Ray, it peaks 15.9 metres in four days. 15.9 metres. The Hawkesbury River at Windsor, 13.79 metres. The Hawkesbury at North Richmond, 14.01 metres. The Lower Hawkesbury at Ebenezer, 12.74 metres. I mean, all those areas up there in Sydney's northwest, you would have seen the, the vision. Unfortunately, I saw a, uh, a tour the other day of a street in Windsor, Ross Street, that was completely submerged, completely. And unfortunately, locals there have lost almost everything. They did, before the flood peak, they did try and put up their possessions higher within, you know, rooms of their homes, thinking, oh, it may just come up, maybe perhaps to ankle height or knee height at the very most, but nope. A lot of it reached almost the roofs, unfortunately. Even in Parramatta, near the Riverside Theatre, uh, the river there, the Parramatta River, was up 3.94 metres. The Georges River, what about there around the, the Georges in the uh, the Liverpool area in the southwest of Sydney? Minto Heights saw the Georges peak at 9.4 metres. Incredible. South Creek at the Great Western Highway. Um, that affects areas on the way to Penrith. So we're talking basically from, I guess, the Mount Druid area further west via Warrington and Kingswood. Well, they unfortunately lost a few properties there and, and there's a big clean-up underway. Many uh, local parks also underwater. Uh, one thing that wasn't really affected, of course, because engineers had enough foresight over the years to build the railway line up higher and over some of the uh, areas of South Creek that tend to flood. The Colo, well, by the way, uh, along the Great Western Highway, did I mention that it reached five? Yeah, I did. 5.79 metres was the peak. Upper Colo, well, we, I mean, what about the poor people up there in Upper Colo? Remember when we were talking about the bushfire emergency? What, less than two years ago, we were talking about devastating bushfires in the Colo region. Well, the river, the Colo River, peaked at an incredible 15.68 metres. Lots of flooding around there as well. Uh, for the central coast, Wyong, Tugra Lake at Arimbar, around Arimbar Creek, 13.15 metres was the peak. And the Wallandilly River, too, also peaked at around five and a half metres. Uh, look. I wish everybody well over this weekend. Um, there will be a big clean-up operation. Thank you. Uh, uh, look, I sound like a broken record, but I always like to say it because I think they can't be thanked enough. The Angels in Orange, all of those wonderful men, women of all ages who give up their time working uh, on a voluntary basis for the State Emergency Service. Don't you people just do a wonderful, wonderful job so thank you very much for everything you've done, keeping people safe, your sandbagging and rescues, all the rest of it. And look, it wasn't just people from the SES involved in rescues. As you know, we've spoken about it during the week. There were just locals 
Locals hopping on the back of jet skis that normally they'd be, you know, on the Colo River or the Nepean River or the Hawkesbury River on, but they're on local roads, going in between houses, rescuing people. Um, there will be a number of, uh, of course, boots on the ground, military-style boots, as the Australian Defence Force also aids the clean-up all the way from the Brisbane River down to Penrith and further south over this weekend. Good luck to each and every one of you. Uh, let's try as best we can to, to help out where we can. Um, look, I'm kind of leaning a little bit towards supporting this aid concert, this charity concert from the Australian Red Cross that's going to be put on on Saturday night. I've been contacted by a few people who've uh, given me some details outlining exactly what the Red Cross have in mind and how much money they're going to effectively give. Um, I guess it's a personal thing. If you if you can trust these charities, these registered big charities to pass the bulk of the money on and you can spare a few bucks, well, why not throw it their way? It'll certainly be a, a wonderful night's entertainment uh, tomorrow night uh, on the television networks, the Flood Aid Concert. Marcus Paul in the morning on this Friday. Nice to have you company. If you want to touch base with me, you can send me an email, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. And, of course, you can leave a note too on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the morning. Welcome back. Friday morning, Marcus Paul in the morning. Nice to have you company. Look, a, a last little say here on this week's floods. And uh, I, I touch base on the fact that so many wonderful volunteers and people in the community would band together and have been over the last 14, 15 days helping one another get through this latest natural disaster. But locals in New South Wales' flood-ravaged regions will be taking a leading role in their own recovery. That's according to the New South Wales State Government. That's to ensure activities remain grounded in the needs of the devastated communities. The recovery effort will be revamped following Premier Dominic Perrottet's repeat visits to flood-affected regions earlier this week, where it became clear that local involvement would be vital to rebuilding quickly. It's been revealed that a representative from Resilience New South Wales had already been appointed to coordinate northern New South Wales flood recovery. That's before the New South Wales Police Deputy Commissioner Mal Lanyon was handed the job. Now, Mr Lanyon replaced Gary McKinnon from Resilience New South Wales as Northern New South Wales Flood Recovery Coordinator. That was on Tuesday after the Premier felt that the role needed a more senior person in charge. Now, under this new structure, we're told, local subcommittees will report directly to Mr Lanyon, telling him what their community needs. It's envisaged the communities, or sorry, the committees will inform Mr Lanyon about supplies and personnel required to get the right resources where they need to go as, as soon as possible. The committees will include local representatives and volunteers who've been on the ground helping support the cleanup. Now, Premier Perrottet said that following his visit to the affected regions, it became clear that the recovery effort needed to be driven from the bottom up. Now, he told News Corp yesterday, tapping into local knowledge and understanding 
is going to be crucial to getting all of our communities back on their feet as soon as possible. Well, I think that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, it's important, obviously, that there's some structure to the recovery process, but it's good to see the state government is prepared to put somebody in there, whether it's Mal, yeah, Lanyon or whoever it is, who will actually listen to the local communities. I mean, Mal Lanyon doesn't live in Lismore or anywhere else on the Northern Rivers. There we go. The government will not be imposing solutions on communities like Lismore, but partnering with locals to get them through the crisis. And this is where I think Dominic Perrottet's got it right, finally. It isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. This new command structure will accelerate the cleanup and ensure recovery efforts use local knowledge to direct resources where they are needed most. Now, the Deputy Premier Paul Toole said input from community leaders would help flooded regions get the support they need as soon as practical. Uh, Mr uh, Toole yesterday said these people know their communities best and providing them with a direct line to Deputy Commissioner Lanyon will ensure they can adequately communicate the unique needs of their community. Emergency Services Minister Steph Cook said it was vital that local voices are involved in the recovery. Well, yes, I think she's absolutely right. Look, as this, all of this goes on, I think the elephant in the room is Resilience New South Wales. And Janet Fife Yeomans wrote in the Daily Telegraph yesterday that she believes the future of the controversial billion-dollar Resilience New South Wales agency is hanging in the balance. I mean, there's been so much criticism about its role. It was revealed in the telly yesterday that one of the main programs funded by the agency has been an initiative to send campaign packs to local councils to tell them to help them tell constituents how to prepare for local disasters. Well, that's important. Of course, preparation is key. Uh, we're always told we, if you live in a fire zone, if you live in a flood zone, to always have things packed, to always be prepared, like the old Scouts motto, be prepared. Anyway, the packs included a calendar of disaster resilience and preparedness events, along with social media templates. Among the 44 council areas that have received one of the agency's Get Ready campaign backs over the last 22 months are the worst hit by the flooding, including Lismore, Hawkesbury and the Upper Hunter. The agency, as we know, was created by former Premier Gladys Berejiklian, but it's understood former Deputy Premier John Barillaro and then-Treasurer, now Premier, Dominic Perrottet, were opposed. A wide-ranging review of the government's response to the flooding, which has been promised by the Premier, is expected to include an assessment of exactly how effective resilience New South Wales has been in preparation for the disaster. However, it's been uh, told the efforts of the agency on the ground have in fact been warmly welcomed by locals. Look, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. And I don't know whether it's necessarily about, you know, everyone piling on on Shane Fitzsimmons. I don't want that to happen. As I mentioned at the start of the program, um, I'm a fan of Shane Fitzsimmons. Uh, he was a, a guiding beacon through the bushfire disaster. I mean, as fire commissioner, he was outstanding in that role. He was reassuring, he was firm, he was just, he was brilliant. 
So I, I don't want to see a, a massive pile on, on him, but, you know, has he not been given the resources? And this billion-dollar agency probably should have been doing a hell of a lot more than just, you know, putting out social media packs and sending them off to council. Anyway, I guess we'll see. One Nation leader Mark Latham, One Nation in New South Wales leader Mark Latham, said it was a waste of money. That's Resilience New South Wales. Uh, apparently, it, it spent... Well, it has a budget of $1.49 billion, or $1.4 billion, sorry. The agency spent $49.7 million on payments to suppliers and employees and $24 million on employee-related expenses between its inception in May 2020 and October 2021. That is a lot of money. For not what? For how much return? I mean, where's the... Uh, you know, the return on investment there. Maybe Mark Latham is right. It has been a bit of a waste of money. He says it's working coordinating disaster recovery should be passed on to the SES. There is no evidence Resilience New South Wales has made. Uh, there is no evidence that Resilience New South Wales has made New South Wales any more resilient. For goodness sake, put one agency in charge. The more agencies you create, the more confusion you create. And as I <laughs> I think I'm right in saying, the more administration you create and the more costs you'll incur. Opposition spokesman for emergency services, Jihad Dib, a member for Lakemba, said some tough decisions have to be made in the wake of this fl- flooding disaster. I tend to agree with him. Marcus Paul in the morning on this Friday. Welcome back. Friday morning with Marcus Paul in the morning. If you would like to support what we do here on Starter FM, I would love you to become a sponsor. I'd love you to consider uh, perhaps advertising here on the program, just like our friends from Fox Safety. Workplace Health and Safety, WHS or OHS, depending on the state or territory you're in, well, we know it's a requirement of every trading business across Australia. There's no getting around it. That's why your business, no matter how big or how small, needs Fox Safety Consulting. Workplace health and safety or occupational health and safety, well, it can be confusing and at times frustrating to know exactly what to do and how to do it. That's why your business, no matter how big nor how small, needs Fox Safety Consulting. At Fox Safety Consulting, Rick and his team will take the time to get to know your business and to understand how it operates so they can provide the very best in safety for your workplace. They will design customised practical solutions to fit your needs and make sure that your business remains compliant, but equally as important, keep your workers safe. Fox Safety Consulting's national network of consultants are now ready to support your safety journey. Already building a strong reputation, Fox Safety Consulting is currently working with micro-businesses along with governments right across Australia. So get in touch today. What are you waiting for? To see how they can help you and your business. To make an inquiry, go to foxsafety.com.au and choose Fox Safety Consulting to support your safety journey. 
And we thank them very much, as we always say, support the businesses that support us here at Marcus Paul in the Morning. If you would like to look at sponsoring the program, just drop me a note, please, via email, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au, and become a part of the Marcus Paul in the Morning family. Make sure you like us and follow us on social media. That's how you get your views and your opinions through to the program right now. Uh, the federal government is again being accused of favouring New South Wales. That story that I mentioned earlier in the program, Susan's come back to us saying, Marcus, it is worse than that. There is a divide in New South Wales as well. The extra $2,000 is only available to the council areas in the marginal seat held by National Party MP Kevin Hogan and not for the equally affected areas in the secure seat held by Labor MP Justine Elliott. Scott Morrison's bipartisanship and lack of responsibility to all Australians knows no bounds, says Susan. Oh, dear. All right, Susan, thank you for uh, giving me your thoughts on that. I do appreciate it. If you would all uh, like to have your say as well, you know where to go, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. What about that wonderful news yesterday in relation to our friend Christo Lenka? Uh, the producer of Jordan Shanks, a.k.a. Friendly Geordies. Well, the good news was, of course, that all of Christo's charges were dropped, uh, the police having backed down. Yep, uh, a little embarrassing, perhaps, for New South Wales police. I guess we'll wait to see uh, what the outcome is. But I'm just wondering whether... You know, there, there was certainly an overstepping of the mark. I have no, I have no doubts about that. I used to be a little uh, careful of what I said in relation to this. In my personal opinion, I have no doubt whatsoever that it was an overreaction by then Deputy Premier John Barillaro. Um, and where is he now anyway? He's gone. He's moved into the private enterprise sphere where he was always going to end up. Anyway, uh, I was very pleased because I know that it's been a, a really tough time for Christo and, and also Jordan and the team at Friendly Geordie. So that was wonderful news as it came out of the court yesterday. All right. Um, any other comments? What have I got here? Uh, Som Kant. That's a, that's a great name on social media. The LNP state versus Labor state. Should we expect anything different? Flood rorts with a hashtag. Okay, so I think uh, Som is suggesting that there's a little, perhaps, pork barrelling going on up there in uh, in certain seats that the government does need a bit of help in leading into the next federal election. Really? No, surely not. Surely not. Okay, I just want to uh, refer to an email that I received from, from Ben. A really nice email, and thank you to everybody who's made some comments on it. Uh, I posted it yesterday. G'day, Marcus. Let's take a step back and have a look at what's transpired over the last month. You got dumped for a bullshit reason in the overall scheme of things. Yes, you made a faux pas, but it wasn't a capital offence requiring a death sentence. You came under attack from various media people who took delight in your predicament. You took the unjust decision, in my opinion, like a man, didn't get your knickers in a knot, didn't throw your station under the bus in the immediate aftermath. <laughs> you haven't seen that podcast. It hasn't dropped yet. 
There might be a little throwing of 2SM under the bus in the upcoming Isaac Butterfield podcast. Anyway, and you held your head high. You had given your all to 2SM and practically carried... Well, I don't think I carried the joint. I don't think so. I mean, they got some other wonderful broadcasters there. I'm very respectful of, of John Laws, and I'm extremely respectful, certainly, of Brent Boltitude and, and some of the guys on the sports show. I mean, they've been in the media for a hell of a lot longer than I have. Uh, but thank you anyway, Ben, for your, your kind thoughts. Uh, he, he goes on, next you were thrown into unfamiliar territory because you had the rug pulled out from you. Uh, you scrambled yourself into action, retained your relevance to the best of your ability. You became proactive and actively sought out new pursuits. This demonstrates your resilience and your commitment to the cause. Well, yes, I did take a little bit of a break and then I started climbing the walls. I got bored. You threw your hat into the ring and tried something new. You were open to suggestions from your listeners and followers. This proves your willingness to adapt. That's a great attitude to have. Next, you got your prawn cast up and running. You gradually became comfortable in the new format. You found a rhythm and everything was back on track. People were enjoying hearing you once more. Guests were joining the fold. Well, we're going to have a few more guests, hopefully online from next week, once we sort out a few technical issues, but yes... Um, ben goes on to say, at this stage, I thought you would have simply done your own thing via YouTube, etc., and have Patreons support you. Well, funny you should say that, Ben. I am still on Patreon, and if you do have a, a spare five, ten bucks a month, <laughs> you can follow the link on my Facebook page. Anyway, um, new show on Starter FM, same prawn taste, similar prawn time, <laughs> fresh prawn hot takes, prawns are prawns are prawns are very good. Um, as to how the program is progressing, um, I'm not sure as to how it's progressing with people familiar with your content. I'd say you're nearly back to being that bold voice who's willing to say things that will upset people. I just think you're finding your groove again. You have to. No, I don't have to play nice, Ben. Um, no talkback means that your show can't be super spontaneous. You don't get pushback and you can't debate ideas with callers, etc. Yeah, but right at this moment, um, we're not doing that as we establish ourselves and see if it'll all work. And um, At least that way I can't be accused of being rude to people. Anyway, he goes on and the whole podcast, the, the whole um, email of what Ben has written is very nice is up on the Facebook page. And, and thank you to others who've commented on it as well. Brilliantly said, Ben, says John Oliver. And Marcus, I'm finding the new format suits my listening needs more than the radio show did, especially the fact that I can listen to as a podcast because 7am is a bit early for me. <laughs> okay. This one from Sonia Robert. What a beautiful email. How lovely of Ben to take the time to give you that glowing feedback. All of it spot on, on your prawny. Uh, plot twist, Ben is Ben Fordham. <laughs> no, it's not, Guy, but... Well, hang on, maybe. No, of course it's not. And Paul Dalton, great stuff, Ben. The loser is 2SM. Oh, I don't think they really care, to be honest. All right, thank you. If you would like to send your feedback, uh, all you got to do is send me an email. Like Ben, doesn't have to be as gushing as that. And I promise you, he's not a relative. Just go to Marcus. Oh, send me a note. Marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. The COVID preventative treatment. Her COVID preventative treatment. The COVID preventative treatment. COVID preventative treatment. COVID preventative treatment? Is this true? 
When we rang 2SM to ask, we got a call back from someone calling themselves Sprat, Jack as in the nursery rhyme, who yelled at us but wouldn't reveal their name. We find that hard to believe. Why a radio journalist would willingly say COVID preventative treatment rather than vaccine is completely beyond us. All right, mate, this will get you the goodies. Friday morning, it is March 11. Nice to have your company. Marcus Paul in the morning, a senior teacher at an eastern suburbs private school in Sydney. Well, I think he's in a world of trouble. He's been charged over allegedly being part of an online child abuse ring. Cody Michael Reynolds, who's 36, has been stood down from Mariah College in Queens Park after he was arrested by AFP officers on Wednesday. Now, Reynolds, who was the head of English at the private school, the head of English, he's been charged with possessing and sharing child abuse material through two mobile phones and a laptop from his Kensington home. In a letter sent to parents on Wednesday afternoon, Mariah College principal, Rabbi Yehoshua Smukla, Jeez. said Reynolds has been vetted before uh, had been vetted before starting work at the school last year. Well, I think the school's sort of on a uh, defensive there. I mean, these are allegations. We need to remember it, but still, it's quite serious. Um, we were contacted by the Australian Federal Police to inform us that our high school head of English, Mr Cody Reynolds, has been arrested and charged in relation to the possession and transmission of child abuse material. Rabbi Smukla wrote, We have been assured by the AFP there is currently no evidence or information to suggest that any of the alleged offences occurred at Mariah College or that any charges relate to online or in-person contact with Mariah College students. Well, (laughs) that will be sort of reassuring, I would imagine, for the parents there. Now, Mr Reynolds commenced at Mariah as head of English last year. In 2021, he was recruited in line with the school's stringent employment policy, which includes thorough referencing and child safety vetting. Now, Mr Smukla said... Reynolds have been stood down indefinitely and a new head of English has been appointed. AFP officers arrested Reynolds at his home moments before he was due to leave for school. His arrest came less than a week after he was identified when data was analysed of electronics allegedly belonging to a 26-year-old man who was arrested on the lower North Shore on similar charges. Now, Reynolds has been charged with possessing child abuse material, three counts of possessing or controlling child abuse material accessed by a carriage service and using a carriage service to transmit, publish or distribute child abuse material. Uh, Very serious charges. He, if found guilty, he faces a maximum penalty of some 15 years in jail. Now, AFP officers work tirelessly, as they always do, to ensure anyone involved in the exploitation or sexual abuse of children is identified and prosecuted. Now, Reynolds has faced central local court. Well, the tributes continue for the late Shane Warne. I, I let you know yesterday, of course, that there will be a state-held funeral down in Victoria at the MCG at the end of this month. 
But I read with interest uh, among some of uh, those celebrities, international stars that have been paying tribute, include pop singer Robbie Williams, who, by the way, is apparently touring here very soon. Anyway, the story is that pop superstar Robbie Williams, who I like, says the death of Shane Warne has made him contemplate his own mortality. Well, I'm with you, Robbie. Um, As I mentioned, Warne was only two years older than me. 52, way too young to go. I've been thinking about this and it's devastating, William said of Warne's shock death at the age of 52. His passing has inspired me to think about life in a different way and the fragility of life is terrifying. Yeah, well, he's right. I reckon there'd be a lot of people my age, semi-baby boomers. No, I'm not a baby boomer. I'm a millennial, aren't I? I might play Robbie Williams' Millennium. Boys, are we, can we cue that up? Come on, we can... Surely, Daniel, Alex, we can... We'll play Millennium. Anyway, um, uh, like Robbie Williams, I guess me, my mates, one of my good mates from high school, I won't mention him, obviously, he lost his wife to cancer in the last few months. Makes me think about my mortality. As uh, my followers would know last year, not only did I lose my father, but one of my best mates. He passed away. He was much younger than, well, 15, 18 years younger than me. And it's hard to just go about every day knowing that he's not here. And it does. When these sorts of things happen, and we know that death is a part of life, I understand that. But you do start to think about your own mortality. Particularly when you lose somebody as high profile as Shane Warne or somebody very close to you, such as a mate or a parent. Warne was known to be a fan of of Robbie Williams. Uh, Despite being English, the feeling was mutual. He placed the leg spinner ahead of footballing greats such as Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi and alongside sprinter Usain Boulder's sportsmen who, quote, transcend tribalism. He added, if you don't love Shane Warne, you're an asshole." (laughs) Well, that's typical Robbie Williams, isn't it? There are only a handful of people throughout the course of history across all sports that people from all countries feel like they have an ownership over them. Uh, That's what Robbie Williams said. It takes a very special person to achieve that, and Shane was one of them. Okay, we got Robbie ready? Yeah? Come on, it's Friday. Millennium, here it is, cranking for you now. Starter FM, Marcus Paul in the morning. Friday morning, welcome back, Marcus Paul in the morning. Let's have a look at uh, some of the letters to the editor uh, that have been sent to various newspapers in the last 24 hours. And again, lots of people talking about, well, not the floods necessarily, but flood mitigation. And plenty of talk, but no damn progress for communities, writes C. Clues. Successive governments, Liberal, Labor, State and Federal, are all skilled at doing nothing about water security and regular flooding events that take place every three to five years in Australia. Both parties define the success of their policies by the amount of money they spend on consultation and consultants rather than what is being actually achieved. Back on October 13, 2019, a $3.5 billion water infrastructure development fund was announced by the federal government. This included $1 billion to build two new dams in New South Wales. Where are they? 
Working in partnership with the New South Wales government, the federal government committed $579 million to the Wyangla Dam and $484 million for the Dungowan Dam, as well as $24 million for a business case for a new dam on the Mole River. It's now March 2022, and nothing, I repeat, nothing has been built. Not one cubic metre of soil has been turned, and not one cubic metre of concrete poured. However, mountains of paper and computer reports have been created, with public servants in approximately six government agencies worked off their feet, but as yet not one litre of water has been saved or stored. This is a great email. The proposal by Forbes Farmers to raise the wall on the Wyangla Dam prompted a typical response from New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet last year. You've got to allow these processes to take place. Raising the wall of Warragamba Dam is, of course, an impossibility without the consent of the United Nations and every Green Group in New South Wales. How long should these processes take? Five years? Ten years? Fifty years? It's a good note, isn't it? This one as well from Steve in Chatswood in North Sydney. Horror stories of Lismore's flood-ravaged locals scrambling to access help are most disappointing. Given our history of bushfires and floods, the powers that be must be more proactive and be prompt with rendering critical assistance in times of great need. Stakeholders charged with these responsibilities including the SES and Resilience New South Wales, must have their fingers on the pulse with ready standby plans and strategies. Only then can our Defence Force and SES people on the ground respond effectively. As the Scouts motto says, be prepared. Well, that's something I mentioned earlier in the program. Yeah, the old Scouts motto, be prepared. Now, let's turn our uh, thoughts to Europe with this note here from Tim in Mossvale. Personally, I think Vladimir Putin has bitten off more than he can chew. He and his cohorts completely misjudged the wonderful Ukrainian people. He obviously, like many leaders before him, likes to write history to suit his own purpose. Ukraine was an entity in its own right prior to the formation of the USSR, as were Lithuania, Latvia and parts of the Russian-controlled Finland. Putin seeks to raise the USSR from the embers and has passed the point of no return. I am sure there will be a price on his head from one or more of the oligarchs who have been made extraordinarily rich from the pickings after the dissolution of the old guard. Well, that's a good point, isn't it? And uh, another point of view comes from Malua Bay and Janice. Janice Russell. She writes, North America is a continent rich in energy. But what did Joe Biden do on his first day in office? He shut down the Keystone pipeline that delivered oil to the US from Canada, then ordered no more gas exploration or fracking, all for the green cause. He also arranged to source more of America's oil from Russia. Hasn't that gone well for him? He's now also been forced to cancel Vlad in favour of Iran, Saudi Arabia and Venezuela. Is there nothing this bloke can't do? Biden is seen as so weak that Putin took advantage and invaded Ukraine, a neighbour, a sovereign nation, wreaking death and devastation upon peaceful people. There is a message in all of this for Australia. Wind and solar will not replace reliable baseload power, and at the moment, coal is the energy source that we have in abundance. 
Our oil supply must be of great concern also. All right, that's a note from Janice. And finally, welcome to the Gulag, Comrade Putin. Your stupidity and intransience has resulted in McDonald's, Coca-Cola, Pepsi and Starbucks all suspending their operations in your country. Well, they have, haven't they? Yeah, where, where do you go for fast food in Russia? Nowhere at the moment. They've all shut down. Marcus Paul in the morning. There's some letters to the editor. If you want to comment on any of them or maybe send me your own. Marcus.Paul at starterfm.com.au on this Friday morning. Well, we must be getting closer to Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, calling a date on the next federal election. Yeah, it's imminence. Just look at the latest piece of news stroke opinion while it's put up as news in the Daily Telegraph. It's more opinion, particularly when it's written by the simp that is James Morrow. Who are you? What are you? Who moved the rock? The federal political editor who is about as far right as you can get. But anyway, he's resulted to calling Anthony Albanese the old sky term that was invented, I think, by Paul Murray, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, either him or Andrew Bolt. Each way elbow. So each way elbow flips views on leaders. All right, well, what's the story here? Anthony Albanese, who once said he was in politics to, quote, fight Tories, has been accused of not being able to keep his own views straight after promising an audience of Sydney business leaders that, if elected, he would govern in the spirit of Bob Hawke and John Howard. In a speech Wednesday... Albo said he was following Bob Hawke's example. I've ensured that all of our economic policies target issues that for government, business and trade unions are shared interests. Uh, but James Morrow, in order to sandbag Albo, has gone all the way back to 1987. Can you believe that? All the way back to 87. In a 1987 newspaper profile of a young Mr Albanese... He was reported saying he believes the Hawke government has lost touch with the people and quoted the then activist criticising Mr Hawke's treasurer, Paul Keating, for being, quote, more comfortable mixing with millionaires and business executives than with working class people, unquote. Now, on Wednesday, Albo pledged if Labor won government at the coming election, I would take my lead from Bob Hawke and his successor, Paul Keating. Yet... In 1995, so, excuse me again, Uh, Morrow's going way back in time here. Here we go, yet, in 1995, at the height of Mr Keating's Prime Ministership, Mr Albanese slammed the Labor government saying, quote, the general free market approach needs to be turned around and I think that the parliamentary left have a role in changing that, unquote. In his speech on Wednesday, Albo went on to praise the great Labor reformist governments of the 1980s and the 1990s that, quote, used reform to deliver huge productivity gains. However, a 2017 biography of Mr Albanese details the opposition leader chuckling when he recalled a stunt in which he and other young Labor activists rained Monopoly money down from the galleries at the ALP's 1985 state conference as then-Treasurer Mr Keating broached the idea of paying for income cuts with a consumption tax. 
On Wednesday, Albo also said he agreed with Mr Howard's belief that economic reform was always a race where you never reach the finish line. I agree, he said on Wednesday. It's also a race, a race for improvement, unquote. He said, despite as a Labor backbencher in 1998 saying of Mr Howard, in the pantheon of chinless blue bloods and suburban accountants that makes up the Australian Liberal Party, this bloke is truly one out of the box, unquote. Former Liberal PM Mr Howard described Mr Albanese's attempt to identify with his record on reform as evidence of his, quote, lack of confidence, unquote and a belief people don't know what he stands for. Well, of course John Howard would be saying that. We're just literally months out from an election. Anyway, he went on to say, I think it's much more important that you tell people what you intend to do rather than cite other leaders, Mr Howard told the Australian newspaper. Minister for Women's Economic Security, Senator Jane Hume, again another favourite of James Morrow and his... Sky cronies, Jane Hume had a quote in the paper saying, each way Albo can't even keep his own views straight. A staunch lefty, there's that, there's that tag they love too. A staunch lefty who once bragged about being in Parliament to fight Tories, now claims to follow in Mr Howard's footsteps. It's laughable and it shows contempt for the electorate, unquote. Well, again, like John Howard, you'd expect nothing less from Jane Hume just months out from a federal election. Any chance they get, and it's usually on Sky, they'll have a crack at Anthony Albanese. All right, well, that's it for our first week here at our new home of Marcus Paul in the morning, starterfm.com.au, and, of course, the iHeart and TuneIn Radio apps. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Yeah, there's some ironing out to do and some creases to iron. Uh, and we'll do that over the coming weeks. And next week, we'll start to uh, introduce more interviews as well. I'll start getting some of the regulars that I, I used to have on the old breakfast show. We'll start hearing from uh, people like Chris Minns. I'll, uh, I'll chat, of course, to um, all sides of politics. Pauline Hanson, she'll be on the program very soon. Uh, who else are we going to talk to? Oh, David Shoebridge from uh, the Greens in New South Wales. Plenty to talk about with uh, some parliamentary committees sitting during this week. We'll find out what's happened there uh, with David Shoebridge, uh, the bloke that I always turn to when uh, matters of New South Wales governments <clears throat> come to the fore. Excuse me, I've got a, a frog in my throat. Anyway, yeah, uh, Sh- David Shoebridge, Shuey, he's very good at holding the government to account and he's not one of those extreme... Greenies either. A good bloke, and I don't know a, a harder working politician, to be honest. Anyway, uh, David Elliott as well, we'll speak to him, the New South Wales Transport Minister, all the regulars. I'll seek to get back onto the program from next week. So, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for tuning in and also downloading the podcast. Uh, there'll be one up on our Facebook page again today, Marcus Paul in the Morning and the Starter FM Facebook page. Uh, make sure if you, you have uh, have missed some of our earlier programs this week that you download those over the weekend. Uh, that's why we, we replay all this stuff in a prawncast podcast. Uh, we put it up each and every day just after 11 o'clock or thereabouts. So you can listen back. And this weekend, you can listen at your leisure. We'll be back on Monday, live on the air, Starter FM and the iHeart and TuneIn Radio apps between 7 and 9 a.m. 
please, if you're after um, some information on how perhaps you can sponsor the program so I can read an ad for you or whatever, uh, just send me an email over the weekend, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. Also, there's a link to my Patreon as well. Um, You know, we, we... we could do with a little help trying to finance this new venture of ours, so throw a few bucks that way as well. Plenty of great music on the way throughout the day here at Starter and across the weekend. I look forward to your company again on Monday. Stay safe. Um, help out if you can in the flood cleanup. We should, fingers crossed, have some fairly decent weather this weekend. And let's also all hope that we see plenty more sunshine next week. This is Prawny. I'm out. We'll catch you Monday morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Have a wonderful day. Bye now. And back to you in the studio, Norman.